was a Bitcoin. Bitcoiners, I just had an awesome conversation with Obi Nuosu. He is such an awesome entrepreneur in the space. He is the CEO at CoinFloor, where he just sold it and transferred the business over at, over to the awesome folks over at Coin Corner. I know Molly and Danny from Coin Corner are doing amazing things, and they have an amazing product that is Bitcoin first, has lightning, has a lot of the amazing things. And Obi is one of those entrepreneurs where he solves a problem, and then he wants to move on to another problem, and he is ready ready to get to solving the next big problem in Bitcoin. He is trying to solve the self-custody problem and help people get hold of their keys. So y'all, you're going to love this podcast. This is We talk about so many awesome things and Bitcoin is mooning. So enjoy this one with Obi. Peace. Bitcoiners. I am really excited to sit across from Obi Nuosu, the CEO of CoinFloor and Bitcoin entrepreneur. Uh, Obi, welcome to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I know big things have been happening in your life. And obviously today, Bitcoin is breaking all-time highs on October 20th. So uh, good feels in the air for all the Bitcoiners out there. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a very surreal but good feeling um i'm tired but tired through happy exhaustion yeah no totally uh there's been a lot of grinding you have in your business has you know really made it through a lot of bear markets and you know had mm. to have a lot of conviction through that to you know kind of see prices that people never would have thought possible and i'm sure you know this is just the beginning as most bitcoin bulls would say um, but I'm excited to kind of tell your story a little bit on the podcast. I know, like I said, big changes. Uh, you recently announced that CoinFloor was going to be, uh, you know, sold over to another exchange called Coin Corner, and the business kind of merged, and you moving on to uh, to doing some more uh, entrepreneurship in the space. I want to, I guess, send it back to you. Maybe we can get uh, a brief start, and then maybe talk about, um, you know, that decision and. Uh, what maybe talk about a little bit what's next in Bitcoin for you? Yeah, so um, thanks for that. So, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, it, everybody goes, I first heard about um, Bitcoin in X, but for me, it was an it was an email in 2011 from a friend who knew I was into um, problems or things that dealt with the problem around inequalities in the world. Certain parts of the world had so much opportunity and other parts of the world didn't. And not just because that wasn't fair, because I, I like to feel that I, I like to see a world which is fair, but two, it just was a missed opportunity. You've got all these incredibly innovative and hardworking people around the world who don't have the ability to help the world improve and be a better place just because of, for dint of where they were born. And so I always had that concern in my mind. And the other part of my background was I was a technologist. I was a coder and a CTO of many companies for well over a decade. So when Bitcoin came along, a friend thought, this is definitely up. 
of these streets. It's technology combined with something that makes the world a better place. So I became aware of it then. I looked at it for a while. I thought the technology was incredibly interesting because I came from a technology background and a technology angle. Um, but I thought that it probably didn't have that much chance of working. So I spent a few months looking at it and then I forgot about it because I was running my own startup at the time. Two years later, my, my um, soon-to-be co-founder came back to me after um, a previous company I'd angel invested in uh, of his had um, fallen through and um, told me about um, Bitcoin again and, um, and suggested the idea of setting up a Bitcoin exchange in the UK. I looked at Bitcoin and, and it's gone up in value from, I think at the time when I first looked at it, it was in the tens to hundreds of dollars. And it's been two years later, and I realized it hadn't died. It continued to grow. Um, so you had this great technology, but it had staying power. It had anti-fragility, um, to use a term from a now much maligned Nassim Taleb, but he still had a great term. Um, hey, I love his books. Maybe not yeah, his Twitter presence, but his yeah. books. I've learned so much <laughs> from the man and anti-fragile um, and a lot of the concepts in there, I feel like you can't throw away. Exactly. I mean, and the term is it's just such a great term. And unfortunately, um, it's, it's, it's a shame that he isn't himself more anti-fragile. But um, um, and I hope he doesn't sue me for that. Um, but um, we'll see how so much anyway. he hangs around CSW. <laughs> maybe um, maybe but, too much Craig Wright would uh, would push him in the wrong direction. But also, uh, well, I'm, defi I'm definitely not going to comment on Craig Wright. <laughs> Um, so I was shocked, but I was excited and, um, very shortly afterwards, we decided to work together on CoinFloor and the rest was sort of history. I mean, the summary was you try to make it sound like it's this smooth, um, hockey stick like growth, but that is the best of times for startups is not the case. And for a cryptocurrency Bitcoin startup, it's definitely not the case because you've got so many areas of volatility. You've got this massive David and Goliath-esque um, world that you enter. Um, but for people like me and my um, ex-co-founder and other people in the Bitcoin space, we sort of, uh, I think we're sort of masochists. We just get energy from from having challenges like that, being the David in the David and Goliath situation. Um, and that actually um, brings me to what's happened over the last eight years. When we started, um, we were in the shadow of Mount Gox. Um, it was, it was, you know, in 2013, it was very clear, it was about to fall and then it fell. Um, and there was a lot of distrust of, of Bitcoin exchanges. Um, and we had a very simple idea. Let's just make buying Bitcoin easy and, and have an ex a Bitcoin exchange, which you could be trustworthy, reliable, um, and secure. Easy to say, um, but at the time that was a big, that was a tall order. So we do things that now seem obvious were, were um, we, we implemented proof of reserves to provide transparency on our, on our custody of cryptocurrency. We also um, were actually not anonymous because at that time, I think it was important that the founders of an exchange where you're trusting your money to 
um, you knew who they were. Again, that was a big deal at the time to, for people to know who you were as running an exchange. Um, and we worked really hard with many others across the world who were setting up Bitcoin exchanges at the time to make buying Bitcoin easy because it was really difficult at the time. Um, it mainly involved meeting people in dark alleys, giving them lots of cash, potentially being beaten up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you fast forward eight years to where we are today, and I think that situation is, is very different. Now, if I look around, there are still a number of companies that I would not be comfortable recommending to um, um, uh, my friends and family or anybody I cared about. Um, and most of my enemies even. But um, there are now a number of very well-run, very good um, Bitcoin-focused um, um, exchanges and brokerages. And so the problem of making buying Bitcoin easy, I think, has been solved. And we've gone from being David to, to sort of starting to become looking a lot more like Goliath. Um, and so, yeah, I think the time was right to pass it on to a great organization and look for new sort of Herculean tasks to try and deal with. Yeah. I mean, I remember we had a, we had an earlier conversation where you said that, you know, the, the on-ramp problem is solved. There's more problems to, to get to. And it's kind of that interesting that you consider yourself a masochist. I definitely think that most uh, exchange CEOs and, you know, entrepreneurs in general are, kind of masochists, maybe, you know, they just like the pain. I think they, they just like hard <laughs> challenges and uh, kind of having the freedom to solve things rather than being a cog in a machine. Uh, but, you know, regardless, uh, it, you know, it's, it's awesome to kind of see, okay, hey, solved, you know, here's an exit, let's move on to another problem. Can you talk about that mindset and like how, how you kind of like switch from, Hey, I'm running a, you know, a business that has a uh, product market fit um, and, you know, is successful because a lot of CEOs, okay, here's my baby. I'm going to run it, you know, till the mm. end versus like, okay, you know, we solved the problem. Let's, you know, let's, this is in the world now. Let's move on to something new. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, how that works. I mean, you know, that Satoshi kind of did that to some degree. Hey, this yeah. has happened. I finished it. Okay. It's in the world now. Let's move on. So um, yeah, I guess back to you. Yeah, I will. and first of all, I don't want to downplay the, the 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 effort needed to run an exchange. It's still very difficult. It, uh, in the background, I mean, sorry, on the face of it, um, it might seem now pretty simple. Everything works smoothly most of the time, but it's still hard work. Um, and any any successful business in any sector um, behind the scenes is 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 difficult to run. So I, I don't want to downplay what um, my fellow um, exchange operators are continue to do, but I do think there are there are sort of two types of um, entrepreneurs, and there are and I think they're the, the the lifers and the starters, and so the lifers are the people who want to set something up and build it, and they want to keep building and building and building um, one thing and have it grow and expand um, pretty much indefinitely. And I think there's a different type of person who wants to take something that's, you know, it's, it's zero, it's, as Peter Thiel would say, it's zero to one versus one to a hundred. 
Yeah. And so the zero to one entrepreneurs take something which, you know, doesn't really exist or is just sort of a vague idea or people don't think is going to work. And they want to get it to the point where it's it's sort of working and proven to some degree. Um, and then the rest is, you know, as they say in the best cookery shows, I leave, the rest I leave as an exercise to the um, to the to the viewer. So they, they get the ingredients together. They show you the general idea. And then you have to do it another 50 times and they go, oh yeah, that, that's for you to now do. I, I've just shown you the in principle how it works, um, but I can, I've proven that it works. And I'm, and I'm definitely the, in the, the zero to one category. I, I get most excited dealing with something which um, in theory should be possible, um, or at least in my theory should be possible um and proving people that it's possible and dealing with a lot of kickback a lot of disbelief the first four or five years of of coin was just having people telling me again and again and again how ridiculous bitcoin was it's never going to be anything significant and every time that happens it's 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 almost like the incredible hulk it's sort of like it just gives me more strength every time and now it's exciting to hear everybody saying this is going to the moon and everything's happening. But I, I, I start to feel the need to look for other challenges. Um, yeah, but it's definitely my, my lot in life is, and um, there's many entrepreneurs like me, is to deal with um, the zero to one problems. Gotcha. No, I mean, uh, that makes sense. And it's, it's awesome that you've kind of recognized that already in yourself. Um, and, you know, obviously coin four is not your first startup. So, you know, maybe you've had other experiences to kind of teach you about yourself. Um, but switching back to Bitcoin. Okay. So obviously, you know, solving the Mt. Gox problem was a big deal in 2013. What problems out there do you see in the Bitcoin space right now that, you know, kind of get your wheels turning? Yeah. So, so when we started coin floor, Buying Bitcoin was very difficult, but um, ironically, self-custody um, wasn't a significant issue um, because of the fact that people had very low trust of exchanges. Most people understood um, the need to take their Bitcoin off exchange as quickly as possible. Um, on top of that, most people in the space were were early adopters, they were highly technical, um, and they were aligned with the philosophy or the philosophies, the cypherpunk philosophies and the, and the philosophies of self-custody and self-sovereignty. Um, and they didn't really need to be explained why these things were important and, and differentiating. So you had, as a percentage of users, you had a relatively high percentage who self-custodied. Over the, over the following years, in order to make buying easier and, and in order to improve the reputation of the space, um, exchanges became more and more resilient, more and more sophisticated, slicker and easier. Um, and the users who entered the space also became um, less and less um, au fait with the principles behind why Bitcoin existed. Um, and um, they were later and later adopters. So what we've what we've seen and, and what I've observed and we've observed over the last eight years or so 
is that the percentage of people who are comfortable self-custodying has been going down. Although in real terms, the number of people custodying is going up, self-custodying is going up, as the percentage of the total population of Bitcoiners has been going down. And it got to a point where, for me, it started to become troubling. Now, let's be clear. I think there are, um, we're, we're a broad church and there are solutions for everybody. There is, there is nothing specifically wrong with having um, custodial um, solutions. Um, and we are going to see both of those. And in fact, uh, many people in the Bitcoin space um, look forward with look forward to seeing a physically backed ETF. In fact, when we launched, we actually in our first year investigated um, back in 2014, investigated setting up a physically backed Bitcoin ETF, which I'm very glad we didn't do because we would have been waiting for a very long time for that to happen. Um, but if you think about it, a physically a physically backed ETF is probably the most non-custodial um, form of, of ownership of Bitcoin you can pretty much get. Um, but there clearly is a value. It's the most custodial. Um, sorry, the most custodial. That's, thank yeah. you for the correction. It's a straight IOU. Um, yeah, so non-custodial. Nothing more than that, yeah. yeah. Exactly. The, the most, the most non-self-custodial, which it could be simplified as the most custodial. Um, but we need something to counterbalance that. Now, you may think from where we are both in the West, um, um, me in Europe and you in you in your, the the States, I believe. It's, yeah. Yep, I'm in the Bay Area right now. Yeah, in the States. So we're in the West, um, known as the West. I'm not sure why they're both called the West, but it is the West. And as such, we look at solutions like um, hardware wallets. Um, uh, for example, as something that we can use, but the problem is they don't solve uh, they don't solve the concerns of of the average user. Um, three major concerns, um, and as concerns they do solve, the average user doesn't have a good understanding of why they're important, and as time goes by, they have less of an understanding of why they're important. So the first needs to be solved technically. Um, and the second needs to be solved from an educational point of view. So but the, the, technically, the technical limitations are these. One, um, the average user doesn't believe that they have the ability to secure their keys as well as an exchange can. And it makes sense when you look at the fact that exchanges have multiple, multiple users who are security checked and criminal reference checked and vetted to be able to hold your keys we, we custody keys in secure environments, including bank vaults and underground safes and biometric scans um, held in, in major capitals in, mul in multiple geographies. It's hard for a user to, ob to objectively and uh, objectively think that their own personal mechanisms for security can be anywhere near as good. Now it is actually possible for them to get to that level, but the general assumption is they can't be as secure from a hack, for example. The second um, concern that, um, that a normal user has nowadays, as opposed to a less sophisticated user, is that they have a concern that 
they themselves from user error will forget or lose their keys. So not be hacked, but just their own user error. Um, and again, if they have it on an exchange, they contact the exchange, they provide them lots of ID and documents and, and ID and, and um, identity um, um, losing, um, um, taking mechanisms, but there is a way to get back access to their crypto, which, which they fear that they won't have if they self-custody. And then the third um, thing that an exchange provides them is that um, in the event of an unknown unknown um, or, or a known unknown, for example, if someone passed away unexpectedly and had an accident, um, if any one of their relatives was aware that they had an account with an exchange, there would be some sort of legal process they could go through to still get access to, to, the, to their um, cryptocurrency. So it could there be so therefore their estate can benefit from, from the investment that they made. So these are, having talked to hundreds of customers over a, a number of years, are three of the big reasons why people prefer to use an exchange over, over um, self-custody. There, there's one other one, which is at the end of the day, you want to hold your crypto, your Bitcoin, but at some point you want to be able to transfer it around. And if I want, and the, the, if I want to basically sell it or buy it or transfer it to someone else, because exchanges are effectively off-chain scaling solutions, it's possible to transfer Bitcoin from one exchange um, customer to another and pay, basically pay almost no fees or nothing at all, relatively low fees. Um, and it's so- It's like a layer two. Um, it's like a proprietary it is, layer it two. Is, it's, 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 a, it's a proprietary, highly, highly centralized layer two with very, very low fees. But that is again, a third factor, uh, a fourth factor for why people like exchanges. So um, for um, these are top of mind for the, for the average new entrant user in the space. And for um, a self-custodial solution to compete, we have to offer mechanisms that provide alternatives to all of those four to a level which is at least as good, if not, um, objectively better than an exchange. Now that seems like a tall order, which is exactly the type of problem I like to deal with, but it needs to be dealt with. If you don't deal with those and you ignore those, people will, will not feel comfortable moving over to self-custody. Um, now there are a number of benefits to self-custody that we know that um, um, centralized exchanges cannot compete with. One is their privacy preserving. You don't need to give up personal identifying information. That we know is very valuable, but the average person in the street doesn't understand that. So education needs to be important there. Um, and another is that they, although an exchange may seem to protect you from hacks, they cannot protect you from the exchange itself. And so you have, so you, you obviously without, there's no way you can get around the fact that by trusting the exchange, you risk that the exchange or some uh, employee in exchange or or some or some other person who has power over the exchange whether it be a state actor or whatever can effectively withhold your funds from you and there are a number of other um problems with an exchange that self-custody doesn't have um the the most important being self-sovereignty but these ones require education to deal with because they are already uh, wallets and so on provide these benefits these superpowers over an exchange 
but people just don't understand that. And um, so the solution to that will be education. The solution to the first part will just be objectively, um, you need technical, technological solutions to that. And that's something I've become increasingly interested in. And I, and, and I will be looking more, uh, more on that and, and investigating more on that over the coming months. <laughs>
or as a family unit or as a group of friends or, or so on and loved ones, you measure wealth by the total wealth of that family in a way, just because of due to inheritance and so on. But if all of a sudden your wealth starts to reduce as a family unit, every time one of your, um, one of the members of the family dies, which is not normally the way, it normally gets redistributed amongst the family, that will be a very um, powerful, unfortunately, it'll be an unfortunate, very powerful um, lesson. But as it stands right now, for many people, their conclusion will be, I'm gonna move my money to a centralized exchange then, because that solves the problem easily. Um, and um, the risks that of being on a centralized exchange out, aren't outweighed by the benefit of being able to handle that scenario. So what we need to provide um, is a solution which provides the same level of assurance. And when I mean the same level of assurance, not technically, it needs to technically do it, but it needs to do it in a way which the layman can intuitively understand is as secure. Yeah. If, if it's complex for them to understand why this is secure as holding it with um, with an exchange. Can I jump in people real quick? Yeah, please. And I, and I apologize. Uh, but I, one of the things is like the ex I really view the world and like there's the fiat mindset. And then there's a very, very small group of people that have switched over to like a Bitcoin mindset and like a Bitcoin worldview. And it take, mm. it's hard to bridge over, but once you bridge over, like, oh, they're orange-pilled, right? Like, we even have a, a term for it. Um, yep. But it's hard. And, like, in the in the fiat mindset, you put your money in a bank. You trust a third party. Yeah. If anything, mm. the, the best practice is to trust a third party. And tr trusting yes. a third party is just how you manage your money. So, like, the idea of you're going to be a crazy person and put your crypto under your mattress or something like that. Like that seems weird. It's like, no, I'm just going to keep it in Coinbase. Like that's secure. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just think that it's going to take pain <laughs> ultimately to get people to start switching over and like, and, and as well as Bitcoin adoption and education, but sometimes that requires pain. And I don't know. I, I don't, it, I, I, I think it's sad to say, uh, but I don't know. I, I think you've got, unfortunately, you've got a point there. I, one sort of weird thought experiment was to think which organization or type of organization or person has done more to educate people about why Bitcoin is important than any other. And when I think about it, it's, it's that we've, we've, you know, you've got all the usual names. You've got the, you've got you, you've got, uh, you've got, um, you've got the Andreas Antonopoulos and the Pompeianos and the Sailors and, and many others. Um, but then I realized the people who've educated more people than anyone else are nation states, by far, by doing two things. Um, they educate them to, one, by printing money and, and the, the inflation that it causes. And on the other side, by banning Bitcoin. Um, if we look, and so when I'm thinking about this custody solution, I'm thinking about it globally, because actually, if you want to, um, in the West, we have a lot of options. But if you, if you think about, you know, the 8 billion people on the planet, most of them don't have access to those options to the same level. But what they do have access to is um, very helpful education. To a much, they're much more likely to have very helpful education by their nation states. So if you say Nigeria, for example, very helpfully, um, 
the the um, the government has on a number of occasions attempted to ban Bitcoin, and that has done more than anything else. Because if you went back five years ago, six years ago, no one in Nigeria was interested, except for a few early adopters, was interested in Bitcoin. Um, in fact, the only experience they had with Bitcoin were a lot of um, scams and um, Ponzi schemes. OneCoin and um, BitConnect and many others were very, very popular in, so in um, places that. like Nigeria. And there's still a lot of that. And, and lots of people lost a lot of money. So whenever you ask the average person in the street about Bitcoin, their experience was that's the one that my friend lost all their money on because there was so much. So it was a, and so for someone like myself, whose whose parents were, are from Nigeria, and has always wanted to see, felt that this was a, a massive opportunity for the developing world um, to address the to address the balance. It was really dis, it was really concerning for me to see that it almost be taking a backward step. The only impression of Bitcoin was negative from just organic from an organic perspective. Then Bitcoin was banned. <laughs> And within a within six months, there was a massive switch. It, it's an adoption went through the roof. People could understand that. Oh, I could, I can still. Um, my business is in danger because because at a similar time there were restrictions on imports. So I was importing goods from China to sell a normal business, and all of a sudden, for an arbitrary reason, some 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 technocrat in government decided to set these arbitrary limits. And and sort of potentially blowing up my business of of you know ten years overnight. I need to, but I you know I'm a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm selling shoes or whatever it is. Um, and I don't just want my business to shut down. It's a good business, you know. So I need to find a way. And then people tell me about this Bitcoin thing, and I don't really understand it. But I'm going to figure it out but it's banned, so I can't use exchanges, so I have to self-custody, so I have to learn about self-custody, and you start using it. And then you use it, and then you start seeing why it's actually a good system, and then some of it you're holding behind as a store while you're waiting for the next order, and you come back and you realize that it's magically worth more in fiat terms, and actually in real terms at this point, because it's, it's, it's still in its deflationary period in, its, in terms of buying power, um, every single month and so you start wanting to understand why and then you realize that the last five years was all bullshit and there's something real and powerful here um now that happened because of government so thank you nigerian government and i think you're you're seeing us you're you i suspect you see you're seeing a similar thing happen in india and you will you're you're going to see a similar thing happen in china so in a weird sort of way, <laughs> the countries who don't ban Bitcoin are going to be in the long run, you might think could be the most disadvantaged, i.e. the West, because we have strong rule of law, democracy and so on. We're the least likely to ban it. And I think, therefore, we're going to be the slowest as a populace to understand the benefits, which will lead to a redistribution of wealth from the global haves to the global have-nots the likes of which the world has never seen. So it's going to be a really I'm, I'm so bullish years. on South America. I'm so bullish on oh, Africa. Yeah. I mean, both, going to both El Salvador? Um, I will not be, unfortunately. Oh. I am traveled out, but uh, I'll be going soon. Um, very soon, probably next uh, year. 
Um, There's more than but, enough time to sleep when you're dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've heard that before, but I want to I wanna extend the time between now and then first. So um, I know you're into longevity too. So uh, I yeah. think that, that that's, another, yeah. that's another subject for another time. Um, Obi, we got like nine more minutes here before uh, we have hard stops. But, um, you know, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, your bullish Bitcoin thesis. Um, right now, October 20th, we are looking at $66,800. That's oh, why I'm looking at my screen. Oh, so it's just there's there's nothing. I'm really I'm really not happy about that, actually. Yeah. OK, well, like t- Let's let let's hear uh, let's hear uh, your take. No, because um, uh, well, I've I've been uh, on a personal front uh, um, reminded of the the challenges of the fiat banking system with uh, delays in transferring fiat into into um, uh, a Bitcoin exchange, uh, Coin Corner. Not no no fault of Coin Corner, but just because of. Um, you're delays losing precious in releasing, release, release, releasing my own money to myself um, by days. And so, uh, yeah. Um, Bitcoin is so elevated. I, 10 minutes. It's very frustrating. I was talking to a reporter. Yeah. I was like, isn't Visa faster? I was like, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been now a multi-day process to try and transfer. And I was just hoping against hope that... Uh, um, you know, it's. I feel like it's this sort of rocket or, or this balloon going up in the air, and there's a string holding it down. And I'm, please just wait so I can get back aboard. But um, so yeah, but no, I'm, that's sort of tongue in cheek. Um, I'm incredibly bullish, and I, I'm in bullish. I'm bullish at both, as I mentioned, at both ends of the spectrum. So you've you've got the ETF launch, um, two ETFs. You've got a British ETF out of Guernsey, which is physically backed, but it's in it's in a British jurisdiction. Um, and then you've got in the same week, you know, the one that was getting a lot of the headlines is a um, Bitcoin um, futures ETF, which is, you know, n- nowhere near as good as a physically backed ETF, which was what we attempted to do back in 2014. We, we didn't really even get off the ground, but it's very clear that, that was the right way to go. And it's performed incredibly well. I mean, depends on how you calculate it. It could be considered the, if you look at naturally natural demand, for if you, I, as opposed to artificial demand, it's the best performing um, ETF first day performance of any ETF uh, and in, in, in history of, um, of uh, the New York Stock Exchange. And if you look at it based on natural and unnatural demand, then it's second best. I mean, this is incredible. Um, It is highly centralized and you're not even accessing the underlying asset, but it still shows the level of demand. And behind that is is a string of Bitcoin physically backed ETFs. I, I still feel doubtful any of them will be approved anytime soon um, because, you know, Gary Ginsler just will be looking at how this is performed and just probably want to be even more careful before he approves the next one. But at the other end of the spectrum, you know, I, I feel fortunate enough to be able to 
um, now finally have some bandwidth to get back into the technical nitty gritty and get back onto the ground. Um, so I'm able to go to certain conferences where I'm seeing really hardcore deep tech um, development and, um, and, um, and advances in the space um, over the last, even over the last month. And it's just incredible seeing, I can't even say some of the stuff that's coming up, but incredible seeing the stuff that's being worked on. And then I'm now hopefully um, going to El Salvador for the Adopting Bitcoin conference. And um, I'm really excited again to see um, on the ground how um, Bitcoin is performing there. You know, it, it may be performing not as well as, as, as the headlines say or, or much better. If it's not as well, then I will be working and uh, in whatever way I can to help it actually reach the expectation. And if it's working better, then I'll just be doubling and trebling down. Um, you need, because that's you need to have the, a conversation. the most exciting. You need to have a conversation with Aaron Van Wordham from our team. And uh, I, you oh, definitely need to get a copy of our, uh, of our uh, El Salvador edition um, of the Print Bitcoin oh, wow. magazine that's coming out. But uh, pretty much, I would say like Aaron kind of was disinterested in a lot of the stuff that was happening in Bitcoin tech other than, you know, maybe watching Taproot um until el salvador and then he just completely woke up he was like oh my god this is so important for bitcoin like this is like block yeah. size war level importance and he actually spent yeah. the entire summer in el salvador pretty much two weeks oh, wow. after the announcement in miami all the way until like two weeks after uh the law went live uh and i think he can give you a lot of insight so i would definitely and uh, recommend uh, you to chat with him Oh, please do. I'd, I'd love to, because um, for me, uh, as I said, um, I'm interested in um, El Salvador because I think it's a prototype of what I want to be able to achieve in terms of custody. I want a solution that someone in El Salvador can use to custody their crypto affordably. So it basically means it'll probably likely have to be free. You know, it, it can't cost $200 for, for a device. You know, it needs to be as secure as a hardware wallet, but be basically free. Um, and it has to provide the assurances that someone who has a, an account with a Western crypto exchange expects. I, want, I, I don't see a reason why someone in El Salvador should have any less of a, a set of assurances than someone in, in um, England, for example. And if, that, if, and if we can do that, then it will immediately apply to India, to China, to, to Nigeria, for example, which is what I'm really excited to see. What, the, what are the problems they're having from a custody point of view? Because what we don't want to do is go out of the frying pan, which is holding all your wealth in fiat, to holding it in Bitcoin, but then going into, into the fire by still holding it in, in Bitcoin, but all of your wealth on a centralized exchange. It's happy, it's, it's, it's fine to have some of it, but you need to have the option to have some of it comfortably self-custodied. And if we're not, then you, it's 1933 and you can close the door on, on, on allowing withdrawals to your own wallet. And you, you therefore don't actually have any Bitcoin. Well, yeah, I mean, unless you, like, this is kind of how I like to talk about it and we're about to hit time, but unless you have self-custody and you know, run your own node, you're not taking advantage of all of Bitcoin's features. You're kind of like, you know, 
giving up, you know, the verifiability, giving up the ownership if you don't do those things. Um, and, you know, again, one has a lot more, you know, I think they're both extremely important, but definitely keys come, in my opinion, come first. Um, and just holding your keys uh, gives you so much more access to Bitcoin's uncensorability, unconfiscatability, right? Those are like some of the most important features um, uh, that people who are living in poor conditions need. Yeah, I completely agree. I think both are important, but the question is how can we give both of those to uh, access to both of those things in a, in a scalable way to everybody in the world? That's, 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 the, that's where I'm coming at it from. And it's a hard question to solve. It will be solved. And if I'm part of that solution, I, I will feel very blessed. Awesome. So I, actually, I just noticed I do not have a hard stop. I'm curious, do you want to keep going or um, what's kind of your calendar look like? Um, let's, I have, I have another 15 minutes. So. Okay, cool. So yeah, let's, let's just close it out in, in like the next 10. But um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it, it it's, it's going to be a huge challenge. I feel like the answer has to be in something clever around like smartphones and then maybe like some different sort of like, like secondary storage or um, maybe like, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Like a circle of trust type solution with like sharing secret information. I feel like something like that maybe is, is along the lines of what's needed, but uh, you know, curious if how much you've already kind of thought about what the solution could look like. Uh, so I thought about it to quite a great extent. Um, I wouldn't want to go into the exact solution right now because um, a lot of it's still investigation um, and testing our hypotheses. So it could change a lot. Uh, but I do think one important question to ask is, um, when it comes to custody, it, 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 you do need to trust. You don't, you don't need to trust, um, you need to trust whatever the system you're using to custody, whether it's um, a paper wallet, you have to trust the paper and pen and you understand how that works or a hardware wallet, you have to trust the hardware wallet, the hardware wallet provider and so on and so forth. So I think you have to start with that understanding that um, the actual custody solution requires trust. And therefore, what is it that as a human being, you trust more than anything else? That's, that's the sort of angle, or what are the things that we, we believe that we can trust? You know, we trust that we are alive and so on and so forth, for example. Um, that's the angle I'm taking at it from. So there's also, everything's a spectrum. So nothing, can we, we can't trust anything 100%. But um, if we can trust this more than the alternatives, then that feels like a good solution um, or a good approach. So for example, if you take some of the most trusted um, centralized exchanges, um, and again, as I said, there isn't, there isn't a problem with holding capital on a centralized exchange per se. It, the problem is not having the optionality out there to provide a solution that's a, that's a viable decentralized or more decentralized alternative. But if you take whatever your exchanges of choice, in my case, it would be Coin Corner, but whatever your exchanges of choice, 
the question you have to ask yourself is for someone who's a lay person who's not technical who who doesn't understand the details yet and hasn't yet fully become aware of all of the nuances of of custody and the risks what organization or person or group of people would they trust more than what they consider to be the most established and most trustworthy Bitcoin exchange? And that's how, that's the first question I've asked myself. And from that, I think if you thought about it for yourself or for your mother or for your father or, or uncle or cousin or, or who's not into the space, and as if you ask, is there some person or some group of people that they would trust more than a, a top exchange, you'd probably come up with a series of answers. And that will, I think, start to be the core of any solution. The core will have to be built around that set of people that those set of people that or, or organizations that the average person would implicitly trust more than than the current alternative where they're custody. Yeah, because if, if they, and then the question is, how can I empower that group of people who, as who these people will trust to provide them a solution which is as secure as this solution? That's, that's the sort of high level approach I'm taking in. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, I, I really like how you're thinking about it because truly for most people that aren't like hardcore Bitcoiners who don't have life experience, you know, it's just a matter of trust and being accustomed to trusting a, you know, a trusted third party. So you kind of have to go through the thought process of, well, how do you outcompete that? Right. From a trust yeah, exactly. perspective. So uh, I, I like that. They don't, um, and, and, and they don't trust themselves to begin uh, then the, 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 yeah, the, and, themselves is, is less trustworthy in their own mind through education or miseducation than these third parties. So that's that's another realization for most people. They do not trust themselves with their own money well, as much part, as they trust the third party. Part of uh, the fiat mindset is uh, low time preference, and, or sorry, it's high time preference and uh, lack mm. of personal accountability. So I may be getting too deep into you know what money does to uh, how money affects people and behavior, but I definitely you know, think that money is very, very important in how we act. And uh, I'm hoping that Bitcoin as a money kind of changes how people behave long term, because it changes the incentives. And I think incentives are everything. 100%. 100%. I know it's changed me. And everybody, uh, I, I've had friends who you see it, they, they just bought some. And then after a while, it takes a few years of seeing it do its thing. But then they start saying things like, oh, I'm not sure I should spend that money on that Bitcoin on this unnecessary um, expenditure. And they become more, not I won't say frugal, but more considered in their expenditure, which is better for the environment. It's better for them. It's better for their health. It's better for everybody. Um, and this is a side effect of a deflationary or disinflationary money. So, um, and then they, then they start to realize um, that their behavior and mindset have changed. Um, and so when that happens, you realize that Bitcoin isn't just a technology, it isn't just this economic um, um, innovation, but it's this philosophical innovation. It's, you know, almost religious-like, you know. Bitcoin um, is deep. Um, 
Yeah, it is. It is very deep. And it's the philosophical elements of it um, that are, in, are, are triggered by the, the technical and economic elements, which I personally find the most interesting and the most exciting because they, they lead to fundamental change to society if our philosophy changes. If we have a, have a, a low time preference, if we are more considered, we think before we act, we think before we expend, we, we, we demand quality um, in anything we buy, we, we, we don't waste. Um, you, know, you can think about the repercussions to the environment, to everything else we do, uh, and it doesn't need to be forced. It will just be a natural consequence of changing the um, incentive models. Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some pay group selling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on chain in the derivatives markets and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the ultimate asset by Dylan and his team. My fellow plubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you are a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Again, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think like in like the famous uh, Charlie Munger quote is uh, show me the incentives and I'll show you the uh, the results. And I, I, may, I may be butchering it, but um <laughs> I mean, I, I think that that's exactly the case. And in the Bitcoin world, the incentives are totally different than fiat. And that's those are the incentives we need to save the planet. Like for all the people who mm -hmm. think that like Bitcoin's 0.001% of energy usage is, is destroying the planet. Well, I mean, I would say is like, well, what's the cost of fiat money and uh, being on this like kind of, you know, trash plastic uh, consumerist economy, right? Um, and, you know, we, we need to get back to some sort of uh, longer time time thinking and 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 that's hopefully what what bitcoin does obi I, I know you don't like to talk about price too much but um you know price is ripping i'm sure this podcast is going to be coming out in like two or three weeks uh so i do want to put you on the spot with some sort of like price prediction or forecasting i don't know what you're seeing here but curious you know maybe what do you see just for this bull market do you believe in like this blow off top uh, cycle 
that we've been having, you know, does the past continue to repeat or uh, is Bitcoin a different kind of asset now? I don't know how you want to take this, but I'm going to put the ball in your court and then we can wrap this one up. Uh, well, I'm bullish. Um, I, um, and you know, I don't like to talk about price, but um, I would say that I still think that there's a good chance we're, we're, we're going to see um, a cycle again. Um, and the reasons that from my experience of observing three different cycles, there generally is some catalyst to, to sort of, to cause a pause to the, to the rise. Um, and I still, so you have to look at what things could occur to cause that catalyst, to be that catalyst. In this case, if it were to occur, it would have to be something pretty significant. And the only thing that could come to mind is if um, a, West, a major Western um, jurisdiction, namely the United States, maybe the EU, but more likely the United, it would have to be the United States at this stage, change their mind you got you had Jay Powell and Gary Gensler changed their mind and said, actually, you know what? When we said that we weren't going to back ban cryptocurrency, we meant we were going to ban cryptocurrency. That's probably that would probably be the only thing that it would take to cause a a, a, a pause to this to this particular rally in my mind. Um, however, and I actually think that there is. Many people think that that's just not going to happen. It's, it's just not possible. I actually think that there's a, as a non it's a non insignificant chance of that happening, um, especially if it starts going up and up and up, um, and it starts being worth two trillion, three trillion. I think um, it, now there will be there will be ways in which it'll be communicated. It probably won't be communicated as a ban. It might be we stop allowing withdrawals to your personal wallets, for example, from regulated exchanges. Um, and you know they'll do it. They already tried to do that. Um, yeah, they've already tried. The they've already tried. See, yeah, yep. And also with the in, in, infrastructure bill, made that almost uh, highly the only practical way of operating exchange potentially. And and then there's a fact of travel rule, and there's many other things. They could just go hard on that, and not seem to ban it, but effectively ban it. Um, they could. Um, you know, where we at some point we might see interest rates rise, which could cause have many implications to the economy. That could be blamed on crypto, for example. Things that are not necessarily to do with crypto um, could be blamed on crypto, for example. There's lots of things that could happen. Now, I think the likelihood of that is low, but it, it but I don't think it's zero. And um, if that occurred, that could cause a halt to this rally because it would all of a sudden be more difficult to use crypto or buy it or so on. Institutions maybe feel more uncomfortable holding it. Um, in a very perverse sort of masochistic sort of way, I'd like to see that happen because I've seen what's happened in Nigeria and India and other countries. Um, and I would suspect and be very confident that Bitcoin wouldn't die. It would, it would continue to thrive and develop. And you'll have this incredible educational process. People will understand all of a sudden why it's good to self-custody, why it's good to um, run your own node and so on and so forth. Um, and it will just continue to survive like, like the sort of um, 
the cockroach that it is, it will just survive this sort of nuclear blast and just get and just mutate and get bigger and stronger. At some point down the line, um, you'll then have to see the same nation state perform a moonwalk back from where it came and walk back its position and, uh, and unban it um, or unban personal um, ownership of it, at which point there would be basically nothing stopping Bitcoin. Um, so I actually feel that if that were to, call, to occur long-term, it would be even more bullish than if it weren't to occur. Uh, I, I feel that the heights that we could get without a, an attempted ban would never be as high as the heights that we could get if it was banned and it failed. Because then the ultimate bad, the ultimate um, risk scenario has occurred and it's been survived. There's nothing more to fear versus yeah. having this sort of slight risk or even if it's 0.1% in the back of your mind. So either so way, we win. China wasn't enough? China banning it and China, Bitcoin China, just China, China is not China's China's good that gets us to hundred maybe a million but to get us to the highest height you have to see every risk materialize every bad guy materialize and be beaten um, yeah. and so um, I, but if it doesn't materialize we're still in a very good place but I, I just like you know the masochists, I like to have the fight. I wanted to know it's undisputed. We've, we've met every potential enemy. Uh, we haven't negotiated. We've just won every battle. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I, I think that everything is good for Bitcoin. So I definitely agree that Bitcoin slaying an enemy, dispelling FUD, um, going P to P is good for Bitcoin. Every nation that has banned Bitcoin from like exchanges and stuff like that has a thriving P to P ecosystem yeah i mean yeah. that's way more anti-fragile than you know everyone relying on coinbase or everyone relying on cash app or something like that so um you know again i i, I love the way that you think about uh this space i love the kind of masochist anti-fragile just lean into the challenges perspective uh and i'm excited to have you back on to talk about um you know the next beast that we slay and uh and continue to document this bitcoin journey uh, Obi, I guess want to give you a last word and an opportunity to plug where people can follow along with, uh, you know, your next project and you know how you solve things in El Salvador as well and as well as self custody. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for that. And uh, first of all, um, as I say, we're a broad church and there's solutions for everything. Um, and if you want to self custody, if you want to buy Bitcoin, if you want to custody and buy Bitcoin easily, definitely look at Coin Corner. We've sold our UK exchange to them. Great guys. They're very focused on the Bitcoin um, philosophy and mindset. Um, and I'm now a very happy camper as a customer using Lightning. I'm looking forward to using their, their wallet and the Lightning integration in El Salvador. And the various conferences I'm going to over the coming, I'll be going, I'll be going to CoinFest in Manchester, in UK in a, in a couple of months time as well. Um, uh, so that's the first. For me personally, um, I'm on Twitter. Um, the, the next few weeks, I will probably not be tweeting that much because I'll be at least enjoying myself for a couple of days before going back into the fire. But um, on Twitter, it's very easy. I'm OB, OBI, because uh, I got I got off Twitter very early, so I've got I've got a free letter um, um, Twitter handle, um, and Legend. that's where I, I give. 
Yeah, that's why I give my musings on on like 99% of them are on, on Bitcoin or, or things related to the space. And um, when I'm ready to talk about and show more about what I'm working on in the space and, and I'm partnering with some incredible, super amazing people, I, I will mention it more there. All right. Well, everyone, keep an eye out. Go follow Obi at O at Obi and uh, OBI and follow me at CK underscore snarks. Uh, don't quite have the the three letter or two letter uh, handle, but you know, you got to do with, you got to deal with what you can get um, and follow Bitcoin magazine at Bitcoin magazine. Make sure to give us those five-star reviews and make sure to check out, you know, all of the content that we're putting out, including our El Salvador edition print magazine. OB, I'm going to make sure to send you one. Uh, so that one is going to be uh, absolutely spectacular. So uh, everyone out there, thank you for listening. Keep stacking stats and to the moon. What's a Bitcoin? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.